There exists in the midst of a great ocean, in a region where nobody goes, a mysterious and isolated island. The island is planted with monstrous great statues, the work of I don't know what race, today degenerate or vanished. Its great remains an enigma. Jacob Ragavine was the first Westerner to set his eyes on Rapa Nui, or by its Western name, Easter Island. By his time, the natives were no longer making these great statues, and their population seemed too low to accomplish such a feat. Nearly 1,000 of these massive statues dot the island. Many of them weigh well over 10 metric tons, while the largest ever erected was nearly 30 feet tall and weighed 86 metric tons. The Europeans stumbled across a society that had long been isolated from the outside world. They traveled thousands of miles across the open ocean to reach their promised land. They transformed the island into an unrecognizable state. In their seclusion, they developed art and culture that continues to capture the human imagination centuries later. Easter Island is one of the world's most isolated islands. The closest inhabited islands are well over a thousand miles away. The nearest continent is over 2,000 miles away. The island is 15 miles long and over 7 miles wide at its widest. It has a total area of 63 square miles. The island has a maximum elevation of 1,660 feet and is dotted with craters from volcanic eruptions. The island was forged by these volcanoes, but they haven't been active for well over a thousand years. Three of these craters have freshwater lakes, though there are no permanent streams or rivers on the island. The island is thought to have been covered in a dense forest before humans arrived. Various unique species of trees and shrubs have since faded into extinction. Now, the island is primarily dominated by grasses. There are no native mammals or terrestrial reptiles on the island. All are thought to have been introduced purposefully or accidentally. Long ago, Six unique species of flightless birds inhabited Rapa Nui. Two parrots, two rails, one owl, and one heron. They are all thought to have gone extinct shortly after the initial arrival of humans. Easter Island was only settled by the Rapa Nui quite recently, historically speaking. Estimated dates of initial settlement of the island have ranged between 300 to 1200 CE. The best current estimate is between the 10th and 12th centuries CE. Recent carbon dating evidence suggests that Hawaii was settled around this time as well. Interestingly, oral tradition has preserved details about the settlement of the island, though no unified account exists. It is said that the island was first settled by a two-canoe expedition originating from Marae Rengim also known as the Cook Islands. These islands are over 3,000 miles from Easter Island, a substantial journey to say the least, though linguistic evidence suggests that they originate from the Gambier Islands or the Marquesas Islands, both less than 2,000 miles away. It is possible that they descend from a group of Polynesians that colonized South America. 
This has been suggested due to the fact that other Polynesians possessed and grew sweet potatoes. However, recent studies on the genetics of sweet potatoes have suggested that they have been present on Polynesian islands for tens of thousands of years before people were. This doesn't rule out that the Rapa Nui didn't come from South America, but no evidence seems to support this at this time. The linguistic evidence supports the idea that they originate from the Gambier or Marquesas Islands. A voyage with reconstructed Polynesian boats was able to reach Easter Island from the Gambier Islands in only 19 days. It is incredible how proficient their seafaring technology really was. Oral tradition states that the original voyage was led by Chief Hotu Matua. After the island was first scouted, it was deemed a suitable place to live. Chief Hotu had already lost three battles against the neighboring chief and decided to flee to the island. The colonists first landed on Anakina, a sandy beach that would have been suitable for landing upon. It is thought that less than a hundred people colonized the island. They quickly established multiple villages. The new immigrants brought with them various edible plants and animals. They grew yams, sweet potatoes, bananas, and farmed rats and chickens. The native land birds may have been hunted, but habitat loss and predation of their young by rats was detrimental to their populations. The island is not surrounded by shallow waters or coral reefs and in turn is not suitable for fishing. The Rapa Nui would have had to venture offshore to search for fish. Here they caught dolphin and tuna as their main form of protein. The Rapa Nui people lived in long rectangular houses. Basalt blocks with post holes drilled into them served as the foundations while flexible sticks were put into the holes and tied together at the top. To some extent they resembled flipped over canoes. Canoes had a special significance in Rapa Nui culture and the first inhabitants on the island may have lived under their overturned canoes. Sometime throughout the Rapa Nui's history, they developed their own unique form of writing or proto-writing called Rongo Rongo. Rongo Rongo has never been deciphered and only two dozen wooden artifacts preserve its existence. Some petroglyphs may also represent the writing. Oral history has suggested that the writing was sacred and only the elite were able to read and write it. No modern Rapa Nui are able to read or write it, and attempts to ascertain knowledge regarding it have been unsuccessful. It is not known when the tablets were made. Some are inscribed on European ores, meaning they must have been made in the 18th or 19th centuries. Orliac 2005 argued that Tablet C was made of wood from a tree that must have been 15 meters or 50 feet tall. Trees of this size had not been present on the island when Europeans first arrived. The writing system almost certainly predates the arrival of Europeans. Evidence of a similar writing system has not been found anywhere in Polynesia or South America. The system likely developed on the island. If so, it would be one of the very few independent inventions of writing in human history. Certainly an impressive accomplishment. Shortly after landing on the island, it is said that King Hotu Matua established the social and religious organization of the new community. Perhaps the writing was developed during this time. 
According to oral traditions recorded by missionaries, the island originally had a strong class system. The high chief himself was directly descended through a line of firstborn children that linked back to King Hotumatua. As in all of Polynesia, worshipping ancestors was very important to the Rapa Nui. They believed that important people such as the leader has mana or spiritual energy that continue to exist after death. This mana could influence everything from crop yields to natural disasters. Perhaps to attract good mana, the Rapa Nui created massive statues called Moai. The exact purpose of these statues is not entirely known, but it is thought that they are related to ancestor worship and the belief in mana. The first Moai were constructed shortly after the Rapa Nui arrived on the island. It is thought that when a tribe's leader or important figure died, a sculpture was ordered to be made for them. Oral history says that the Moai were built by a class of skilled workers. These workers are thought to have been of high status. The vast majority of these sculptures were carved from an extinct volcano at the quarry of Rano Raraku. The rock used to make these statues was primarily volcanic tuff, a sedimentary rock made from volcanic ash. There is no mystery regarding how these statues were carved. Dozens of stone picks have been found at the site that are able to work the relatively soft material. It still would have taken an incredible amount of time and effort to shape the Moai, but it was anything but impossible. Moai were carved lying on their backs before being moved to the hillside of the volcano. Here they were erected and their back was finished. Many unfinished Moai still remain on the slopes standing upright. The Moai lucky enough to be finished were then transported using a series of roads to their respective village. They then would have been placed facing the village with its back towards the sea. Nearly all Moai are thought to have been placed facing inland except one picturesque group. Many have pondered about how these Stone Age people were able to create and move such massive stones. British mariner Captain James Cook wrote in 1774, We could hardly conceive how these islanders, wholly unacquainted with any mechanical power, could raise such stupendous figures. By this time, the islanders abandoned their old ways and their population dwindled. There were few hints of how such stones were moved even at this time. Modern attempts to attain this knowledge have been fairly successful. There are actually quite a few ways that these statues could have been moved. It has long been hypothesized that wooden rollers were used to transport the stones. Rollers may have been used in some areas, though the majority of the roads were concave and not suitable for rollers. Oral stories have long told that the Moai walked with the help of a priest who used their mana to move them. Inspired by these stories, theorist Charles Love created a 13-foot-tall, 10-ton model. He tied ropes to the top of the head and both sides and the back for stability. With this model, a group of 25 men were able to move the statue a few hundred feet before accidentally knocking it over. Walking the Moai would have been a very effective, though perhaps risky way to move these statues. Based on the statues found along Rapa Nui roads, 
Terry Hunt and Carl Lipo have shown that the pattern of breakage, form, and position of these statues is consistent with an upright hypothesis for transportation. These statues were originally created with a wide base which would have aided in walking. The wider base was then removed before installation. Recent experimental recreations have proven it is possible that once the Moai were originally erected, they were walked upright all the way to their destination. There are fallen Moai next to roads that may have been abandoned after being accidentally dropped. Perhaps they were not worth the effort of lifting once knocked over. Other methods have shown to be effective at moving Moai, though upright walking seems to be the most possible method. Over 900 Moai were made and transported. The Rapa Nui were undoubtedly very skilled at moving them. The earliest Moai were quite small, only standing around the height of a person, but as time went on, Moai got bigger and bigger. This was likely due to the competition between chiefs and their respective villages. The average height of a Moai is about 4 meters or 13 feet and weighs around 12.5 metric tons. As little as 20 to 30 people could have moved the average Moai. Larger examples would have been harder to move. The tallest Moai erected was nearly 10 meters or 33 feet tall and weighed 82 metric tons. The heaviest Moai was slightly shorter but wider and weighed 86 metric tons. An unfinished Moai still laying in its quarry would have been 21 meters or 69 feet tall and was estimated to weigh as much as 150 metric tons. Perhaps an exceedingly ambitious chief came to the realization that such a statue would have been far too hard to move. Using the walking method, a Moai of any weight could have been hypothetically moved with enough people. Considering the island had as many as 15,000 people at one point, and many of them would have spent decades creating and moving these statues, it is not very mysterious that these people were able to create and move these stones. It is rather an amazing testament to the capability and ingenuity of Stone Age people. There is no reason to posit any theories such as advanced technology or interaction with an advanced civilization. Anyways, the Moai are relatively uniform in design, but evolve throughout time. Moai have large heads with stylized facial features and a torso with arms. Many famous pictures of the Moai just show their heads or shoulders with the rest of their body buried. This has gave way to a plethora of amazing clickbait YouTube thumbnails. The reason that many of them are buried is because the Rapa Nui eventually abandoned the tradition and toppled over many Moai. Landslides have since covered many Moai entirely, while others just have their heads above the ground. Moai were intended to be placed upon platforms called Ahu in which their bodies would be fully displayed. The Moai were then finished with coral eyes and had either obsidian or red scoria pupils. Once the eyes were added, it is believed that the statues gained power. More recent Moai had Pakao placed on their heads, which represented the top knots of chieftains. Local tradition has claimed that mana is stored in the hair. These Pakao were made of red scoria, a light stone, though it still would have been a challenge to place them upon the Moai. Some statues had carvings present on them, though since they are made of a soft material, 
small details often erode quickly. Most moai that are still standing are actually quite weathered. These carvings are most noticeable in buried examples. Some have suggested that these carvings link the Rapa Nui to other ancient societies from around the world, but in reality, the opposite is true. The markings present culturally link the Rapa Nui to other Polynesians and obviously DNA evidence has conclusively proven this. At least some moai were painted, though over the past few hundred years this paint has worn off. An example in the British Museum preserves traces of red and white pigments. These statues would have been extremely expensive to produce, but obviously meant a lot to these people. It is quite clear through the progression of these statues that they served as a form of competition between neighboring chiefs and villages. Besides the Moai, the Rapa Nui also made similarly impressive stone buildings. Moai were intended to stand upon platforms called Ahu. These platforms were often made crudely, but others are quite refined. The Ahu Vinapu was one of the larger Ahu made and contains carefully fitted slabs of basalt. This structure is a testament to the capability of these people. It also has caused many to speculate that the Rapa Nui were inspired by Incan architecture. This idea actually has some merit to it. Though South America is 2300 miles from the island, we know that Polynesian sailors had the ability to sail this far. Genetic studies on the Rapa Nui have found mixed conclusions regarding contact with Native Americans. One study looked at five skeletons from the pre-contact Rapa Nui culture and found no genetic traces of Native American ancestry. They do admit that it is possible that these skeletons are not necessarily indicative of the entire pre-contact population. Another study found relatively weak genetic connections between the two populations. But this is exactly what we might expect considering only small groups of people would have come into contact with each other. The authors suggested that Polynesians visiting South America in the 14 to 1500s may have taken American Indians with them upon their return. It remains unknown if the Rapa Nui ever contacted South American people, though it is certainly possible. Their stone artwork at Ahu Vinapu has some similarities with Incan architecture, though it may be a stretch to say that they must be related. The only similarities that the stones have with the Incan ones is that they are large and close-fitting. This criteria is not compelling enough to form a strong connection. And that goes for a lot of weak connections people apply to ancient cultures. Just because they have similar elements does not mean they have to be related. The YouTube channel called World of Antiquity has a great video that covers this phenomenon. Anyways, between the 14th and 15th centuries, the population on the island reached an all-time high. It is estimated as much as 15,000 people lived there. A century later, the population was only around 3,000. This massive population crash was caused by a few factors. By this time, the island had largely become deforested. When the Europeans arrived, no trees taller than 10 feet existed on the island. The lack of wood meant that the people were no longer able to create seafaring vessels, cutting them off from one of their main food sources. Few building materials also meant life in the caves for many. The lack of trees also let the soil retain less fresh water while sea spray blew harmful salt water onto the crops. Despite a starving population, 
the elite were still commissioning Moai. However, the artistic style began to change. Early Moai were very slim. Moai from this final period of the ancestor cult were made plumper with full stomachs. It is thought that this style was directly influenced by the fact that commoners were starving while the elites were well nourished. As resources diminished, the eleven tribes began to become more competitive. This period of unrest is under much debate with some suggesting brutal war between tribes while others suggest it was a more peaceful time of cultural change. Crudely made obsidian spear points are found in abundance dating to this time. Skeletal remains often show evidence of trauma such as blows to the face or head. Perhaps mana became more important than ever as each tribe began making bigger and more ambitious moai. Many of these moai were either never finished or never left the quarry. This is thought to be the result of a sudden collapse that effectively ended the ancestor cult. Settlements were abandoned, cannibalism was rampant, and some took shelter in the island's many caves. It was during this time that a warrior class known as the Matatoa gained power and shifted the culture to the Birdman cult. The Birdman cult still believed that the Moai provided power, but that the dead now favored a new medium in which to give the people mana. This medium was through an annual competition. Every year, important men from all around the island would appoint a man of lesser status to participate. These men would be tasked to descend 250 meters down a cliff to the water's edge. From here they would have to swim to a small rocky outcropping called Molto Itu while carrying provisions. Many died from falling, drowning, and some even by sharks. The first contestant to make it to the little island and find an egg of the Sudi Tern would be the winner. However, it was really his benefactor that took the glory. He would remain on the small island and yelled ashore that he had won. Immediately, the sponsor of the man would have all of his hair shaved and he would be painted red or white. The contestant would stay on the island and fast by himself. Eventually he would swim back and present the egg to his patron. This man would then be declared Tangata Manu, a living representation of Makemake. The Tangata Manu would in effect become the sole ruler of the island possessing all of the mana that the Moai once had. He would be showered with gifts of food from other tribes and his clan would have the sole right to collect the season's harvest of wild bird eggs. He would spend an entire year in a ceremonial house where he was expected to simply eat and sleep. It was during this time of Rapa Nui culture that the first Europeans arrived. The first European contact with Easter Island took place on April 5th, 1722. This was on Easter Sunday, hence the name. Dutch navigator Jacob Roggeveen visited the island for around a week and noted that there were between 2,000 and 3,000 people present. It is clear from his account that the ancestor cult had long since vanished and the infrastructure to create and move these statues was abandoned. Raghavin also reported that the island has rich soil and that all of the country was under cultivation. Pollen records affirm that the main trees on the island had died over 70 years prior to their visit. As explorers visiting indigenous populations often do, the Dutch got into a fight with the natives in which a dozen Rapa Nui were killed. 
Soon after, they left the island, leaving with them various diseases to ravage the natives. Nearly 50 years later, two Spanish ships sent by the Viceroy of Peru landed on the island. They surveyed the coast and claimed it for the Spanish before leaving. Four years later, in 1774, famous British explorer James Cook visited the island. Cook and his crew made various accounts of their time on the island. I will tell some examples. The people were as fascinating as any silent statue, if only because of what Cook could not learn from them. They numbered only six or seven hundred, he thought, of which three-fourths were men. Perhaps women were kept hidden, he guessed. Especially distinctive were their lengthened earlobes with prominent slits, a curious feature found nowhere else in the South Pacific. Three or four canoes were seen, one with a plank eight feet long. Yet, we did not see a stick on the island that would have made a board one half this size, for the island had no trees. Maybe the wood was washed ashore, he thought. And try as he did, he could not learn the local name of Easter Island. One thing was for sure, there were no giants twelve feet tall on the island as Raghavin sailors had claimed. The natives were hospitable, but they were all expert thieves. They had a liking especially for hats which they would snatch whenever they could. While the artist William Hodges sat sketching quietly, someone grabbed his hat and ran off. William Wales the astronomer lifted his musket to reply but then began to think, his life is worth more than a hat. Towards the northeast coast was full of those Colossian statues. Most of them were toppled over and broken, but some still stood erect on masonry platforms. One of them 30 feet long, and all of them were faced with hewn stones joined closely together without cement. Pickersgill and his companions were correct in surmising that the statues were effigies of ancient leaders rather than local deities, and a few skeletons did suggest a burial site. At lunchtime, Wales painted a scene of disaster and mystery. The only method Wales could imagine for the way the statues could have been upended was by gradually raising one end little by little on piles of stones that would make a kind of removable scaffolding. Cook was principally grateful for the small amount of food he was able to buy for his sailors, even though it was no more than a stopgap that came in the nick of time. A few items of sugarcane, yams, plantains, taro or eddy root, and two or three small fowl. Certainly far from enough to fill 130 empty stomachs. But Easter Island left him disgruntled. Nature has hardly provided it with anything fit for a man to eat or drink. As far as any fresh water, his sailors might as well drink from the ocean, he thought. The food was insufficient and plain, but it did have one result. His sailors again relished their salt beef and pork, for which they had lost their appetite. Reinhold too thought it was time to hasten away to some more happy spot for refreshment. On March 17th, Cook began to shape a course northwest of the Marquesas Islands, about 2,000 miles distant. Though this video is not about European exploration, it is amazing to think about what these men would have seen on this mysterious island. 
In Cook's account, it was reported that some of the Moai had been pushed over. A visit to the island by the French 64 years later in 1838 indicated that only a handful of Moai were left standing. By the 1860s, no Moai remained standing except for the half-buried examples on the slopes of Renu Raraku. Oral history provides one account of a clan pushing over another clan's Moai at night. Though oral history suggests that earthquakes were primarily responsible. The evidence does suggest earthquakes may have been the cause, though purposeful toppling cannot be ruled out. Over 50 of these Moai have been re-erected in the modern day. A handful of other missions visited the island throughout the early 20th century and were relatively uneventful. Terror would strike in the 1860s when Peruvian slave traders targeted the island. Through violent abductions, 1,500 men and women were captured in only a couple of months. International protests eventually pressured the Peruvian government to return these people. They returned them with tuberculosis, smallpox, and dysentery. In 1864, Christian missionaries arrived for a short time, converting Rapa Nui. They returned with Captain Dutro Bornier in 1866. Dutro was a former officer in the Crimean War, but was later arrested and sentenced to death in Peru for arms stealing. Luckily, the French consul intervened and freed him. Dutro came to the island a second time in 1867 to recruit laborers, and when he returned in 1868, he burned his boat to permanently stay on the island. Here, he attempted to cleanse the island of Rapa Nui people and turn it into a sheep ranch. He married a Rapa Nui woman and appointed her as the queen. He then recruited Rapa Nui to abandon their Christian faith and to return to their previous beliefs. With rifles and a cannon, him and his allies controlled the island for several years. Missionaries realized what was going on and evacuated 275 Rapa Nui from the island, only leaving behind 230. Dutro was eventually murdered in 1876, reportedly over an argument over a dress, but he was also kidnapping teenage girls. Dutro kind of reminds me of Colonel Kurtz from Apocalypse Now. When it was all said and done, there were only 111 Rapa Nui present on the island. Later, in 1878, Alexander Salmon Jr. arrived on the island. He was the brother of the Queen of Tahiti, as well as the son of an English adventurer. He helped the island produce and trade wool, as well as Rapa Nui artwork. In 1888, the island was annexed by Chile under an agreement with the Rapa Nui people. The Rapa Nui still numbered quite small and were confined to the settlement of Hongaroa. The rest of the island was still privately owned agricultural land. Up to 70,000 sheep roamed the island under the control of Williamson, Balfour, and Co. The Rapa Nui were only able to visit the countryside or Moai with special permission by the company. After constant native uprisings and the invention of synthetic wool, the company decided not to renew their land contract which they were leasing. Finally in the 1960s, most of the land was reopened to the growing number of Rapa Nui people. In 1966, the Rapa Nui were given Chilean citizenship. Tourism increased throughout the 20th century and many Chilean people migrated to the island. In the modern day, 
Nearly 8,000 people live on the island, with half of them being of Rapa Nui ancestry. The language is not spoken widely on the island, with mostly elders being fluent. The Chilean government has attempted to manage the island respectfully and to preserve their language and culture. However, many Rapa Nui are upset with the fact that they still don't own much of the land, among other things. Protests against the Chilean government are common and many of the Rapa Nui want to be entirely independent from them. The Rapa Nui also call for the return of various artifacts, including 12 moai which are held at various museums around the world. Rapa Nui is an incredible island with a rich and mysterious history. In only 800 years, their society grew to incredible heights and fell to unfortunate lows. Though we know a great amount of information about their history and culture, there are many mysteries surrounding these people. We will never know the exact methods used to move such immense stones, though one or more of our hypotheses are likely correct. Their ability to create and move these stones with Stone Age technology is a testament to the capability of Stone Age people and the greatness of the Rapa Nui culture. The island remains a small dot on our world worth exploring and hopefully, someday I can pay it a visit. Well, thanks for watching this installment of North O2. Even though this was not a video on prehistory, I hope you enjoyed learning about their unique culture. I may cover other historical topics or even modern ones in the future. I hope you stick along for the ride. Well, arrivederci.